Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. So what makes Christianity so special? If you've been tracking with me through the past few episodes now, you've heard me talk about concepts uh, starting off with if you're considering Christianity and other religions, research those. I think I brought that up in either the first or the second episode. And then if you were with me last episode and you could hang through the uh, more philosophical intellectual discussion, we talked about the existence of God. And we'll get back to the existence of God and more evidence for that. But I wanted to take some time and just ask the question, what makes Christianity so special? What sets it apart? Well, if you've done any research on Christianity thus far, you'll know that the answer I'm probably going to give for this question is this thing we call the gospel. Gospel comes from a Latin word, godspel, which comes from the Greek, euangelion, which simply means good news, right? The, the gospel is, is the good news of Christianity. And I want to kind of break that down. What actually is Christianity presenting as good news? Well, I want to break it down into three parts. The number one, incarnation. Number two, the crucifixion. And number three, the resurrection. So these are theological terms that I'm sure you've heard before, uh, but if you haven't, I'm going to explain them really quickly anyway. Incarnation is the theological doctrine that Christianity teaches that says God took on human flesh, right? That he became the person of Jesus, that Jesus was fully human and fully God and walked this earth and ate and spoke and breathed our air. The crucifixion is the cross, right? It's, it's the cross that Jesus died on to pay for the sins of the world. And then the resurrection is Jesus rising from the dead after having been crucified. Uh, three days afterward, buried in a tomb, he rose from the dead. The stone was rolled away. He hung out for a few days on earth and then ascended to heaven. And we haven't heard from him since. So let's talk about why these three theological concepts are so crucial to Christianity and so different from any other religion. So let's start with the incarnation. In the Gospel of John, in the very beginning of his Gospel, he starts off by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. And then he talks about John the Baptist for just a couple verses, and then he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this also brings up the concept of the Trinity, which is to say that God is triune, that he is three persons, one God, a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We will get to this in a later episode, but that's not the main point of this episode. So if you have questions, please send them in. I'd, I'd love to uh, tackle some specific questions about the Trinity. I know that there are a ton, but for now, I just want to focus on what this incarnation actually means. So 
The Gospel of John was written last. Um, John spent a considerable amount of time in Asia Minor, particularly in the city of Ephesus. And so most scholars believe, and there's even some non-canonical writings surrounding John's life, that point to the Gospel of John being written to Asia Minor. Now, we can speculate if he actually wrote to Ephesus or Tarsus or, you know, one of the many cities in Asia Minor, but it's important to know who he's writing to. You see, Asia Minor was established by the Greeks long before the Roman Empire, and Asia Minor actually has a rich history of philosophy. Pythagoras was born on the island of Samos, and Heraclitus was born in Ephesus. And so there's a, a hub of ideas in Asia Minor. Why is that? It's it's also surrounded by water. So there's a lot of trade that comes through, particularly Ephesus at this time. And so there, there's a, a cultural uh, melting pot, if you will, that happens there. And when you have a cultural mel- melting pot, you have so many ideas and beliefs all coagulating in one place. And it's important to know this because John writes, in the beginning was the word. And if you look in a Bible, Typically, the word word has a capital W in front of it. And that's because when we go back to the original Greek, that word 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 is translated logos with a capital lambda in front of it. So there's a, a proper noun connotation given to logos. Well, why is that important? Well, if you remember in a previous episode, I had talked about the idea that the Greeks had that behind everything was a thought. And a lot of this comes from a philosophical idea of what Logos is. The very beginnings of logic, of thought, trace it back to an origin. And so what John is doing by giving a proper noun connotation to this word Logos is he is personifying Logos. So what he's saying, in essence, is in the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the thinker behind every thought. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. He made everything. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and light. And then, go down nine more verses, and he says, And the Logos became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld Uh, We grasped at his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So what John is saying is the thinker behind every thought, the, the very creator of the universe himself, took on flesh. And this is a very important concept to the very basic doctrines of Christianity, right? Uh, The term Christianity, obviously having the word Christ in it, simply means little Christ. It was a uh, term the Romans used to make fun of Christians back in the day when, when Christianity was still in its grassroots phase of being a religion. And so it's important to note that Christianity is about a Christos. The word Christos in Greek is a translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is Messiah, right? Which is the coming one. And the doctrine of the coming one is that he would be a deliverer. But much more than that, Christianity teaches that he's not only a deliverer, he is the very creator. And so what separates Christianity from other religions in this regard is, number one, other religions are doctrines of work or work-based doctrines, as they are sometimes called. And that is to say that the religious text says, here is the law, obey the law, and one day you can see God. 
and as we'll get to when we get to the crucifixion, Christianity is not a works-based doctrine, though it is sometimes presented as such. It is sometimes presented as a performance-based religion. But why the incarnation is so important is because it says, instead of you perform and maybe one day you'll see God, it says God came down so you could see him without ever having to perform. God came down himself to be tangible, to be touchable. It's very different from other religions and mythologies that say God is distant. God is far off. He's in a a nirvana or a heaven or an ethereal realm somewhere, and you must reach him at the end of life, outside of this current life we know inside time and space as we know it. Christianity says the author wrote himself into the time and space as we know it, that he came down to be touchable, to be tangible. And there are many things that he did here in his tangible self, and we'll get into those at some point in our podcast, but the main mission was what we call the crucifixion, the the Jesus dying on a cross. Yes, Jesus taught uh, his disciples, he taught, you know, people uh, in, in Israel and Samaria and the surrounding regions. Yes, he did miracles, he healed people, he turned water to wine, he multiplied fish, Yes, he rebuked scribes and Pharisees and turned over tables and tried to right the wrongs that were happening in in his temple. But the main mission of why he came was to die on the cross. And so I mentioned just a moment ago that most religions are works-based and Christianity is not. Christianity, because of the crucifixion, is grace-based. Now, grace, as it's defined biblically and theologically, is unmerited, undeserved favor. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to lose it. It's a gift. The Bible says that the crucifixion is the free gift of God that anyone can receive if they want it. Now, this might sound a little strange. God is trying to think of, you know, Christmas presents for you. I guess this is the first Christmas, right? He's trying to think of Christmas presents for you and I, and he's like, gosh, I created everything. What can I give them? I know. I will brutally murder my son and let them all watch it and talk about it for the next 2,000 years. Ha 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 ha, what a sick, twisted God, right? Well, it's deeper than that. The doctrine of the crucifixion is a doctrine that acknowledges works-based doctrines. You see, we have this thing in humanity called guilt, and I don't want to go too deep into it in this episode. I would love to cover it in depth in another episode. Uh, If you would like to hear that, uh, let me know send me a message on social media or shoot me an email. But we have this this thing called guilt. It's a condition of our humanity. We have regrets and guilt, and, and it's universal. We all have it because we've all done wrong things. And God's law, because there is a law in the Bible, it's given in the first five books of the Bible. It's laid out in the Ten Commandments in the second book of the Bible in Exodus, chapter 20 to be specifically, if you want to reference it. But it's pretty specific about what is a sin. And sin comes from the Greek word hamarteo, which is to miss the mark, right? It comes from an archery term. Uh, the archery term is hamarthan, and the archery term means you miss the, the target. You were aiming at the target, but you slipped and you accidentally missed it. Well, the way sin is used in the Bible, it's a purposeful missing of the mark. And the mark that we're aiming at, or that we should be aiming at, that we're created to aim at, as, as far as the biblical doctrine goes, is perfection. And Jesus even says that himself. He, he at one point says, be perfect. As a commandment, he tells us to be perfect. Uh, it's kind of impossible, Jesus, so what the heck? Well, 
grace comes in then because all of us have sinned. We've all told a lie or we've all been bitter at someone or we've all uh, gossiped or been jealous or maybe we've stolen something. Maybe we've murdered someone. Maybe we've committed adultery. Maybe we've committed fornication. There are sins we all bear and there's a regret and a guilt that comes with it for some of us, for most of us. And that's because deep down we know it's wrong because deep down it is wrong, because God has set a law over this entire universe, an order in which we should walk in, we should behave in. And to deviate from that order gives us guilt because along with that order, God has set, as the Bible says, eternity in our hearts. In other words, there's a reconciling at the end of our lives. There's a fairness that needs to balance out the universe because God made it that way. There's a justice, to use maybe the more exact term, that every wrongdoing and every right doing must receive a penalty or reward for it. The problem is, is that we have sinned, we've committed wrongdoings against an eternal God, and we are not eternal beings. And so, therefore, our payment must be eternal. And that's what the Bible describes as hell. But to be more specific about what hell is, and we will totally get into this in another episode, to suffice for our conversation for now, hell is separation from God. You see, the incarnation actually reminds us of something that Genesis tells us in the Bible. You see, when God made Adam and Eve, they were chilling in this garden, and God would walk with them in the cool of the day. And the incarnation a few thousand years after Genesis chapter 3 happened, tells us that God still wants to walk with humanity. That that was God's intention for us all along, and it still is. But unfortunately, the Bible describes hell as a complete absence from the presence of God. And then heaven, it describes oppositely. Heaven is Eden regained. It's, it's the garden redeemed. It's the garden returned. It's being in the presence of God. And I do promise we can get into heaven and hell later, but for, for this discussion for now, that's the concept of heaven and hell I want you to have in your mind. Heaven is with God. Hell is separate from God. And those are eternal destinations. There isn't a payoff hell for a certain number of years or millennia and then get to be with God. That's because God's nature is perfect. God's nature is holy. He cannot look at sin. He cannot be in the presence of sin because it would be contrary to his very nature. And so therefore, a payment has to be made for sin. Now, if you and I were to pay for it ourselves, that's called going to hell. But God loves us so much. And this is the key to understanding the crucifixion is that God is a God of love. And he loves us so much that he is willing to actually make the payment himself. And because he is an eternal being who exists outside of time, has no beginning and no end, he doesn't have to make the payment for all of eternity. He can make the payment once and it's good for all. And therefore, the Bible teaches that Jesus not only had the power to lay down his life, he had the power to take it back up again. And this is the resurrection. And the resurrection is such a huge and essential doctrine of Christianity that I will definitely be covering this over multiple episodes throughout the life of this podcast. But for our discussion for now, you need to know that the resurrection is what makes Christianity credible, is what makes Christianity a viable religion. Why? Well, for a couple reasons. Where the incarnation 
deals with our relationship with God from creation, reconciled in the middle of history, and the crucifixion restores the relationship with God, the resurrection brings it all to fruition. You see, in the beginning, God wanted to walk with us. In the gospel accounts, God came back down to walk with us, but unfortunately, we still live in what the Bible calls a fallen world. Unfortunately, the Bible says that this world, creation as it is, is subject to decay and thorn and thistle. And death is still a very real reality in creation. Death is the consequence of sin because humans have sinned. We now have a sin nature. Something has to end that nature and it's death. But we still long for something more. We still long for a meaning to the life that we have, be it 70, 80 years at most if you don't get hit by a bus or get cancer young. We want to know that all of this was worth it, that I mattered, that you mattered, that what we did from day to day, that the lives we lived as we went about with friends and family and colleagues and even enemies, the schools we went to, the jobs we took, the hobbies we picked up along the way, we want to know that it meant something, that it won't just wash away in the end and and we'll just be forgotten unless we've done something really, really famous or infamous. The resurrection says it matters. The resurrection says, unlike many other religions, everything about this earth matters. Because the doctrine of the resurrection in Christianity says that the body that you inhabit currently, you will one day inhabit again. The earth that you walk on currently, your feet will one day feel the same earth beneath them again after you've died, after you've been dead. Because God loves you, he cares about what's precious to you and what is more precious to you than your very body. And not only that, God loves his creation. And this earth is tremendously precious to God. He created it. And in Genesis, he looked around and said it was good, and 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 it was good. And the whole goal of Christianity is that there's a God who wants to be with you so much that he would create you and I on this earth. And even though we reject him, he would come back to this earth. And even though our rejection of him makes it impossible for us to be with him unless we pay it off for all of eternity, he he loved you and wants to be with you so much, he paid it off. And then because he's God, he can't undo the consequences of justice because death is justice for sin. And he is a just God, and he is a fair God, and he is a holy God, and he is a perfect God. And so he can't just take away this payment that we have to make. Our lives must end. That's fair. That's within the nature of God. Statistically, every one of one people die. But it doesn't have to end there. He can resurrect our bodies. He can redeem the rest of creation. Not because of anything you did, but because he's good, because he's loving, because he's merciful, and because he's a father. A father like you or I have never had on this earth. And and you may have had a good father. You You may not have, but he's a better father. And because he loves you and something precious has to be taken from you, he wants to get it back. And that's what the resurrection can mean for us. And I'm sorry if I sound a little preachy 
or a little bit like every evangelical church service you've ever gone to. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer right now, and we can spend a lot more time talking about this gospel and why it makes sense, but what makes it so different is that it's free, is that there isn't any magical prayers you have to pray or quantity of charitable deeds you have to perform. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage and climb the mountain and find the purple flower. It's a gift, and you can receive it even now. And I hope that you would. And as you know, I would hope that you would also really think it through. But that is all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the show.